This is Jim Robbins, and this is the Good and Noble Heart Podcast. And today is part three of the session that Gary Barkalow and I are doing on calling. And today's session is about um, your particular glory. In other words, that aspect or splendor of your life that you bring to the story. Hey, Gary, it's good to be together again. It is. I look forward to these. I'm glad we're doing a series so we get to talk often. Um, yeah, that's, it's good for my heart as well. And there's just so much here that um, needs to get unpacked if, if we're going to get beyond the traditional um, self-assessment tests and personality inventories and spiritual gifts because there's so much more that's often missing from those that we need to, we need to look at. So today is about glory, um, the glory of our life, which I think is not a term that most of us are accustomed to using. But let's, let's start, before we get into what that glory looks like, let's start with some of the distortions and half-truths that we often hear or, or even say to ourselves. Um, you start off by saying that what the gospel has become is sin less, give more, work harder. So, so what are some of the phrases we tend to tell ourselves that are kind of half-truths? Yeah, yeah. A, a good friend of mine, Brent Curtis, who, who several many years ago died in a rock climbing accident, he was the one that came to me with that phrase of, we turn the gospel into sin less, work harder, give more. And, and I do remember hearing that and thinking, gosh, that is, I've never heard those words spoken, but that's the meaning I've gotten from so many people that talk about the, quote, good news of the gospel. And I kept thinking, that's just not good news. So I, I do think the, the, the way this idea of the gospel has come about um, have been through phrases that people have spoken. I, I think with the desire to sound humble, but it really wasn't humble. Uh, you know, phrases like, uh, you know, it's just, it's my job to get out of God's way. Um, and it sounds humble, it sounds right, but if you stop and think about that statement for a minute, it, it, what it's really saying is that we are nothing more than a nuisance to God. We are a hindrance to him. We are a liability. And what he wants us to do is get out of his way. And, of course, that is so untrue. Uh, you know, the reason he's come to live in our heart. Um, is for us to do things together, to change this world together. Or, you know, another popular expression is, you know, this is simply preparation for heaven. That, that's all this is. And, well, I'll tell you what, that, that makes me ask the question, do you mean to tell me that all the things that we are experiencing in life, the, the hardness, the suffering, the injustice, that those things really don't count? You know, obviously it's not true. They, they do count. They mean something. Um, or, or another one. Um, people need to see God and not me. Hmm. And again, Jim, that sounds so right and humble on the outside. But the fact is that, that Jesus said in, in uh, Isaiah 61 that he came to heal our heart and set us free, as we talked about before, but for the purpose of making us a display of God's splendor, that, that we really are to bear the image of God, to be a, a display, an image of the splendor of God to the world. So 
it, it really isn't true they're to see God and not me. They're to see God in us. So I, I think a lot of those statements have, yeah. Yeah, let me just uh, interject something there. Even that, even that statement, people need to see God and not me, another way we say that is, you know, God the Father has to wear Jesus' glasses <laughs> in order to mm-hmm. kind of look through him um, so that he doesn't see me because the assumption is I'm a mess, I'm sinful, God can't look upon sin. And, and that really shortchanges this supernatural change of heart that we have had so that we have become his holiness, we have become the righteousness of God. So there, there are no Jesus glasses that God is wearing. He's seeing us because he can see us now with this particular splendor that we have to offer. So yeah, those are just horrible and, and they're so deceptive because they're on the cusp of being true. They're, they're right, not, right. but they sound so holy. Right, right. And, and yes, God, God does not live in denial, as you were saying, with us. I mean, he sees who we are. He knows what we are. And he sees the life of Christ in us. He sees what we are becoming because of what he's created us to be. So th- there is a whole different reality. And, and really what these things come from, uh, including another statement that I'm thinking about that I, I've heard frequently is, your calling is not about you, it's about God. Again, it, it sounds right, but it is so untrue. And it just turns people, um, you know, believers, followers of Jesus Christ, uh, the, these glorious, powerful, redeemed people, and they're just passive, you know, disengaged, disheartened individuals. And, and it, is, it, it is a really sad state that we have come into because of this false humility. So what's a better offer? Um, I love that passage of, uh, in Isaiah 61 that, in, in fact, Jesus uses as sort of his own credo when he steps onto the scene and announces why he's here. Um, ashes for beauty, you know, mourning for joy, despair for praise. In other words, I'm, I'm, I am cleansing and, and moving you from this life of death, despair, hopelessness, diminishment into something much more radiant. So what else is he describing there? What, what, is the, what is the intent that God has with us that we are to become and are already in some measure? What, what is Isaiah and Jesus describing there? Right. What we, as you said, what we have become and at the same time what we are becoming. Um, well, again, you know, he says that we are to become this oak of righteousness, this display of God's splendor. Well, he goes on there in verse 4, 61, and he said, these people will rebuild the ancient ruins, restore the places long devastated, that they'll renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And so, from reading that, I understand that the effect of our life, what is to happen with those things that touch our life while we are living in this world, it is to be the effect of rebuilding, restoring, and renewing. And, and I believe that's everything. That's, that's rebuilding, restoring, and renewing, um, you know, uh, marriages, families, people's lives, organizations, corporations, the government, the media. It goes on and on. Everything that touches our life, uh, this should be the result, renewing, restoring, and rebuilding, because it is the splendor of God in our life. 
And if that is what God is up to, I think that's really helpful to as we try and think, well, what am I particularly called to? Well, in some way, it's going to be rebuilding, renewing, restoring, because that's what God is up to. And if it becomes disengaged from what God is up to, then it can turn inward and all that. But, but, but yeah, that's, that, that's a helpful framework. Um, and I love that well, quote let from me, let's, Lou. Go ahead, yeah. Well, let, let me just throw in with that idea. Um, I remember oh, probably you know, several decades ago hearing Larry Crabb say, uh, you know, be very careful that you don't prostitute your gifting. And I thought, what a vivid picture. It's just what you described. That God gives us his, a, 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 a part, an aspect of his glory, of his splendor, um, and then says, now, now take this out into the world, give it, so that the effect will be restored, rebuilding, and renewing. But the reality is that we can use it for our own purposes. We can use it to gain you know, uh, money, influence, position, inclusion, all of those things. And in essence, what we've done is we are prostituting the glory of God that he has given us for our own purposes, for our own gain. And I just thought, what, what an awful, but what an accurate picture of, of what it means to use it for our own purposes. Yeah, and that's, that's why um, I think Os Guinness has a similar way of saying it, is that there are two calls. There's the primary call and the secondary call. The primary call is to the relationship with him itself, the relationship before anything else, that, that, a, that connection with him. And only out of that flows the secondary call or the particular calling of our life, the particular um, giftedness and offering that we have. Because if, you, if the second becomes detached from the first, you end up with exactly what, you were talking about this distortion of calling. Um, let's let's just unpack a little bit more what we're talking about with the term glory, because you know I've spent time <laughs> in the Bible Belt. You spent time in the Bible Belt. Glory mm-hmm. has become really distorted. What are we really talking about? Well, the word glory literally means um, splendor. Uh, weightiness, abundance, uh, brilliance, beauty, strength. I mean, you could literally get any of those words and substitute it when you see the word glory, and it would work. And and that was so helpful for me for, you know, being someone that I I didn't become a Christian until I was uh, uh, 18. I was a freshman in college, um, had no idea what Christianity was, uh, came to Christ through the influence of some friends that I made on the gymnastics team there who were Christians and just, I mean, just talked about Jesus and, and as if he were real. And then to realize over the time after listening to them, he was. Well, here I am in the deep south, become a Christian. I started going to church because they said, well, you know, church is where Christians hang out and they learn, they grow. And, uh, and so I'm hearing the word glory. Uh, you know, I came to a church and I introduced myself, and they said, well, glory to God that you're here. And I'm thinking, yeah. I mean, I, I, that's the strangest <laughs> greeting I've ever heard. I've heard, how you doing? Hello? You know, those, but not that. And I thought, well, maybe it's just a, a southern Christian expression. Well, then I'm sitting in the service, and I, at some point I hear something about, 
one day we're going to glory. And I'm thinking, gosh, it's not just a greeting, it's a destination. And, and <laughs> I'm hearing it used in all these ways, and I have no idea. So basically, I simply discarded the word. I ejected it from my vocabulary, and, and I tried to eject it from Scripture, thinking it must be just some southern thing. And, but I kept bumping into this word, and I thought, I've got to deal with this word. I can't ignore it. I have to understand what it means and not let the baggage ruin the word. And mm. so when I, when I really did look at it, I realized all these words, uh, they, they all mean the same thing, and then Scripture started making sense. So, so, so thinking again about that scripture in Isaiah, that, that Jesus has come to heal our heart and set us free so that we would become a display of God's splendor, that we'd become a display of God's glory, that there is a certain splendor that we carry that is true of God, but we carry an aspect of it, a certain brilliance, a certain, uh, there's something abundant in our life that God has given us. There, we have a certain strength or a certain beauty or a certain brilliance. That's what it means that we carry the glory of God in our life. Um, and just so that some of our listeners don't think we're talking about New Age self-actualization, because I actually got asked that question in an interview yesterday, and it was a good question. You know, is this sort of self-fulfillment kind of, you know, something you might hear on one of the gurus of PBS, you know, public broadcasting? I said, well, it, you know, um, it could if it became detached from what God is up to in our lives. And if it wasn't an expression, this, an, an idea that's rooted in Scripture and flowing from him to us, so, uh, you know, given your um, sort of the substitute terminology to get rid of the baggage for glory, um, let's just take a, a verse, for example, like Paul says, we who with unveiled faces are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing splendor, abundance, strength. You know, that gets the religious stuff off of it. Oh, exactly, and, and that was such a good point that was brought up in your other podcast because, again, if we detach um, God from the idea of calling, uh, our relationship with him, his life in us and his purposes, because going back to earlier broadcasts, remember um, Os Guinness, or, I'm sorry, um, Oswald Chambers said that the call of God is to be in comradeship with himself for his own purposes. Well, if you take that out, yes, it does become kind of new age, the glory of man. You know, man is amazing. He's the center of the universe. And that is completely wrong. But that's simply getting a truth and making it wrong. You can't throw the truth out. And so you're right. God is transforming us into his likeness, into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ, with ever-increasing glory. This, This splendor that God has given us, uh, this strength, this abundance, this weightiness is ever-increasing. God is doing it. And that verse ends with, that verse in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that you quoted, ends with, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You know, there, there <laughs> is an ownership of it, and there is a source of it, and it's not us. Um, yeah, and, and there's, the, there's that dynamic tension of it's, it's not us, but it has been given to us and is a part of us, an integral. I mean, it's not us and it is us. Uh, I mean, one test that I use for thinking about the calling of my own life 
is when I know that I'm dialed in to what I'm created for, what God has particularly given me, there's something else going on uh, besides me just using my gifts. There's something supernatural happening to the point where I don't end up feeling, um, I don't end up feeling either guilty about it, nor do I end up feeling proud, sort of a prideful thing, because what I experience is simultaneously joy for what I've been given and humility for what I've been given, because it's me, but it's more than me. Yes. Yep. So, so Paul says um, that everything that we have has been given to us, and if it has given, been given to us, what room is there to boast about it? And, mm. and, and so the, the glory, the splendor, the weightiness of our life has been given to us by God, and we are to own it because it's been given to us. It's who we are. But there's no room for boasting in that because you realize God has given that to me. That didn't come from me, but it was given to me, and now it's part of who I am. And, and there really is a, a profound... Um, sense of love and responsibility that comes with w- when we discover who we are. And again, going back to an early broadcast, we need to remember that the good news is that what we are supposed to do is what we most want to do. I mean, mm. what God, the splendor, this glory, this weightiness that God has given us is what we care most about. So that's why it carries this, this joyful responsibility and love with it because it is who we are. We love it. We don't want to blow it. We just want to uh, increase it. You know, again, going back to Philippians 2.13, for it is God who is producing in you both the desire and the ability to do what pleases him. It's, it's right there, you know, written on our heart in the form of our desires. That's how we find this glory, this weightiness, this splendor to our life. And Paul says, don't, don't keep that veiled. Leave it unveiled. God has taken the veil away. Don't put it back on. Um, and the way you capture that, I love this statement. You say, the calling of your life is to let people see the glory of your life. What's another way to say that? Um, what's another way to say that? Um, okay. God has given every person a particular splendor, brilliance, or strength to their life just to use those three words. And we're not to keep it hidden. We're not to, um, you know, hold on to it and not offer it. We're to let the world see it. They need to see the glory of God in our life. Uh, Another way to say, to see the glory of God in our life is to say to experience the effect of our Mm. glory. You see, again, using these words again, the splendor, the weightiness, the beauty, the abundance, the brilliance, it has a certain effect on the world. It's designed to have an effect. It might bring to bring clarity. It might be that the effect of the glory of our life is that we nurture things and people. Or we actually can bring uh, organization to chaos. It's just in us. It's the effect of our life. Or we just naturally encourage people. Uh, Whatever the effect is, we are to let it have its effect, not block it, not hide it, 
not seclude it, not isolate it, but let people experience the effect of our life. And so that's why in 2 Thessalonians 1.11, Paul can say there, he said, I, I pray that God would count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. So basically what he's saying is, I'm just praying that this effect that God has created you to have, which you experience as a desire for goodness, that that would not be held back. In fact, it would just be delivered with power, with effectiveness. And I think that if we define our glory or our, our particular calling as the effect of our presence on others, then what we can do is avoid some of the pitfalls of um, saying, well, my calling is to, and then name a role, be a teacher, or uh, you know, lead a corporation, or something like that. Um, and what that does is it actually traps our glory, too narrowly defines it, instead of allowing it to be something that we, we step back and say, well, no, I can bring the effect of my life into every arena, not just a particular job, although hopefully I would bring it there, but into yes. relationships. Into so let's talk about those three arenas where we all have to function in life and where we can all bring our glory. What are those three arenas? Um, the three arenas that everyone lives in and possesses is every person has a calling for their life. Every person has a, an aspect uh, of the glory of God in their life, some particular effect they were created to have. Every person has roles in their life. Um, for, and let me just define roles for a minute. If, uh, if a person um, is married, they have the role... Uh, if they're a man of a, as a husband, as a woman, then as a wife. Um, if they have children, they have the role as a parent. Um, if they work for somebody, they have the role of an employee. If they have their own company organization and they hire others, they have the role of an employer. These are roles. They're not callings. And, and so many times people confuse that. They'll say, well, I was, I'm, I'm called to be a leader. I'm called to be a CEO. I'm, I'm called to be a pastor. I'm, and 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 those are roles. They're not callings. Now, there is an effect that they may be referring to, but they're attaching calling to a role, and those are different things. Um, and, and then the third arena, and then I'll circle back around and talk about them again. The third arena is everyone has assignments. Assignments are those places that God sends us to or asks us to go to that need the weightiness, the splendor, the effect of our life. And that will also help fulfill the roles in our life. Now, now let me circle back around on this. Um, I have heard people say, for instance, I've heard guys say, well, you know, I'm, I'm called to be a father. Well, my reaction to them is, okay, if you have children, you are a father. It's not your calling, you are, period. <laughs> and that's just as true as if somebody says, well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm called to be a preacher and to go around the world and preach, and so, uh, I, I, you know, it, that detracts from my being a father. Well, what I'd want to say is, okay, you've you got a problem here, because God may have gifted you to bring clarity to the gospel or to some truth in Scripture, but 
you cannot deny your role as a father. You are. You have children. They are two different things. So I've seen people hide from their calling uh, by their roles. I'm called to be a father. I'm called to be a mother. Or I've seen people hide from the roles to their calling. You know, gosh, I just am not home much because I'm called to, you know, travel and speak or I'm called to lead. And, and, and so those are not legitimate excuses. Now, I, I do believe that God will give us assignments. He will give us places that need the glory of our life um, for the kingdom of God. So if a person is holding on to a job description or a job title like leader, like teacher, um, uh, pastor, I mean, you, any title. Um, and then God says, I really need you to go over to this other place to be with this group of people in this geographic setting because they need the weightiness, the effect of your life. So many people say, well, I can't do that because that's not a, that job description doesn't have the word teacher in it or leader or manager or administrator, or, you know. And, and so it, it's as if God cannot move them because they refuse. They're looking for a certain word to describe that place, be it a paid position or a volunteer or whatever it is. Um, when I think God is saying, I, I don't care what it's called, it needs the effect of your life. And if your effect is to bring clarity, go bring clarity there, even though it doesn't have the word teacher on it. And I, I think I think one of the things that confuses people is, um, and this is this is a result of a lot of the spiritual gifts assessment tests. What we tend to do is we tend to take the spiritual gifts list mentioned in First Corinthians uh, twelve and Romans twelve, and Ephesians, and what we do is we turn spiritual gifts into job titles or job um, narrowly defined job roles. So that, you know, as you said, someone ends up saying, I'm called to be a pastor or I'm called to be a teacher. Um, and as, especially with sort of the higher profile gifts, so to speak, um, those mm -hmm. all, the spiritual gifts get defined as, well, that's my calling, rather than um, a tool or the means by which our splendor is sort of communicated and, and disseminated into whoever's around us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yes, and so what I will do with people often in, in a conversation um, is, and we're usually in a conversation about calling, and they'll say, well, I, I, I sense that my calling, um, let, me, let me pick a common one that you and I both mentioned. My calling is to be a teacher is to teach. And so I'll ask them, I'll say, now tell me that again without using the word teach. My calling is to what? And, and of course they stumble because they've held on to that title or that spiritual gift word or whatever it is for so long, even though they have so real meaning for it, to their life. And so I'll, they'll struggle with it and they'll go, well, I, I love to, um, I love to help people find understanding of profound life truth. All right, now we're getting closer. You're helping people mm. find understanding. That's really helpful. Now, you see, you could take that anywhere, whether it's whatever that position, that place is called, you could take that somewhere. And so that's what I'll do with a person often to get them to let go of the titles wherever they've come from, to get down to what's the effect. You know, they may say, well, I love to lead people. Okay, now say it again without using lead. 
I love to inspire people. All right, we're getting closer now. Now say it without inspire or lead. Um, I love to pe give people direction. All right, let's take it one step further. Do not use those three words now. Well, I love for people to understand what we are about and, and the ways that we can be about doing it or getting there. All right, now we're really starting to get to the core of the effect of your life. See, we have to get there. And I think it's really helpful to take a look at the verbs we use, as you're suggesting, the verbs that we use to describe our calling, and the more specific that we can get. And there will always be some mystery. We don't, we don't want to, um, we don't want to um, get so um, anal retentive about this. But at the same time, it, for me, it has been very helpful to think about the particular verbs I use when I say, I love to bring such and such. And I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, way back when I was taking these spiritual gifts inventories tests, and I was even teaching the classes, all that kind of thing, one of the gifts, quote, that I had was creative communication. Well, what does that mean? Um, you know, um, I, I like the idea that I'm creative, but what, what about that for me is particularly meaningful that resonates with me. So how I've defined that creativity is um, I enjoy creating and revealing design, whether that's design in a musical composition, a design in a person's life, uh, a design in, in you know, how the furniture is arranged around my house. So creating and revealing design rather than just saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm called to be a creative person. Or even I'm called to be an artist. Um, getting more and more specific, what particularly about that do I like to bring? So that, that's been one of the most helpful things. Yeah, yeah. You know, words, and we'll get into this with an, with, uh, in a future broadcast about the discovery of our calling, our glory. But that is such a key thing, is what are the words that, seem to be core, that we absolutely love, that can touch anything, like you said, design. Like one of the words I've always loved is architecture. I, I, I'm fascinated with the idea. Now, I've never studied architecture. I'm not an architect by training or background or experience. But I love to understand the, the, uh, the uh, structure, the design of something. Or if, if it's going to fulfill its purpose, how does it have to be designed? And so it sounds like you and I are similar in effect. Um, but those words are really core. And like you said, I, we can't make this now formulaic and definite. Because what I find in my life is as soon as I find a few words that, that feel very close to describing the effect that, that is in my heart to have, that I love to have, God will eventually reveal other words that are closer now. And, mm -hmm. and so there really is that journey that we have of <clears throat> understanding our glory more and more, becomes more and more clear over time. The, the other thing that, that you brought up that's so good about understanding the three arenas in our life of calling, um, of, of, of the calling in our life or the roles in our life and our assignment is to understand that, that no one job or position or place will ever fully fulfill the calling, the glory, the splendor, the weightiness of our life. For instance, um, I love to teach. When, when I go and do these calling retreats, these calling intensives, I love it. 
but that doesn't mean I'm a teacher because you know I've been asked before, hey, would you uh, teach a Sunday school class for us? You know, for the next eight weeks, um, I, that would kill me. I, you know, I, and especially if they're saying, we're, you know, we're just going through the the books of the New Testament. We'd like you to take the Book of Romans or you know the Book of Ephesians or whatever it is. I am not a teacher. I do love to bring clarity, but I love to bring clarity to something specific. So the, so the mm-hmm. role of teacher would never completely fulfill who I am. You know, I, I love to counsel a person um, in terms of their calling, helping them discover it, helping them find what's blocking it, um, helping them do what needs to be done to, to remove that blockage. But I don't want to be a counselor. I, I, that would kill me to be a counselor, you know, five days a week. Uh, that's not who I am. It touches who I am, but it's not who I am. I, I love to coach a person, uh, to be a life coach, if you will, is the term used more nowadays. But I would not ever want to be a life coach. I don't mind entering somebody's life for a while, but I don't want to do that all the time. So that's why, again, it's so helpful to understand that, that um the glory of our life, our calling, is far bigger than a job, a position, a title. And and even for you know, especially for someone like you or me, there's there's specific content to uh, what we communicate. You know, we couldn't. I couldn't write a book on just anything. I couldn't write a book on, um, you know, um, parenting from grace. Now I could, but it. And maybe someday God will ask me to, but right now that's not something that necessarily, it's not the content of the message that resonates with me at this point. So I think not only are there um, certain environments and contexts which may better suit our particular, the effect of our lives, but there's also, many times there's a particular content for what we deliver, if I can use that term. Um, I also wanted to say that one of the dangers of confusing calling the effect of our life with our roles or assignments or jobs is that what if you lose your job? You know, um, if you don't have a sense that your calling is greater than the job, I mean, you bring it to your work, but if you lose that role, well, not wholly you won't lose a role, but, you know, if if you're fired or if, if, God moves you to something else, another assignment. First of all, yes, I think it's important to ask, and I don't. I don't think we ask much. I think a lot of, a lot of people, especially guys, will just assume that the job they're in is where God wants them, and, and without asking. And so that's a danger itself. Ask God. <laughs> you know, is this where you want me to bring the effect of my life for this time? But that having been said, um, if we attach our calling to a particular job, as you suggest, it can be a nightmare if we lose that role or that assignment. Oh, oh, exactly, exactly, because ultimately what that is saying is that my ability to walk in my calling is dictated by the economy. It's dictated mm-hmm. by um, perhaps, you know, the person that holds the power over hiring or firing at a particular place where you want to work, or or your freedom, depending on the culture that you live in, to do what you want to do, and obviously it's not by any of those things. I mean, your, our, my calling, our calling, is is a factor of God and myself. 
not, not other people. They don't have anything to do with my walking and my calling or not. So that is just such a huge thing, especially um, in the days that we're living in, you know, with the recession that's happened and people have lost their job and they're thinking, gosh, that was my calling. It was taken away from me or this is what I want to do, but nobody will hire me. Where is God in this one? Well, if it's the effect of your life, you simply are asking God, where do you want this effect? It's obviously mm-hmm. not there at this point. That doesn't mean we don't keep pursuing it, but we haven't lost it. And so that that is just a huge factor that, that you have brought up. It really is. The, the other thing that I'm struck by that you brought up, which is so important, is that, I, in fact, I had a conversation with a, a friend yesterday at my house, and he just said, Gary, does everybody have a message to give? And hmm. my, my answer, my understanding at this point is, is this, that I believe that some, if, if you want to categorize the effect of people's life, I, would, I think you could put it in two categories. Some people, for some people, their, their, their effect, their life is about a particular truth that God has given them. And so God is bringing them up in that truth through, through education, through experience, through training. And, and in some way, they are to communicate that truth, be it written, spoken, uh, mentoring, whatever that is. For other people, it's not a particular truth. It, it's something particular that they do for others. You know, it, it may be creating things or, or organizing something, getting an idea and actually bringing it to the point where it actually now can operate. Uh, so I don't think everybody, for everyone's life, that, that at the core of it, it's a message to bring. It may be a service to give, to provide. And I, and I, I just find that to be a helpful way to, to think through things. Of Is it a message or is it a, is it a service? Is it something I actually do? Yeah, that's those are that's a good. Um, I like those two categories, um, and I would say that I I think I definitely fit into the um, uh, the message because ideas have always resonated with me, and particularly ideas that that challenge assumptions that hold people from experiencing all that God has for them. So so I think what I'm doing is I, I'm constantly challenging assumptions, maybe from the religious system or the false gospel, that, that whole kind of thing that has kept people back from embracing the, the trans, I, I hate using this such a you know, trite phrase, but transformational ideas that if we really were to um, lean into those, our life would look mm-hmm. a lot different and we'd be experiencing more of what we really our hearts know to be available for us. So those two categories, I think, are really helpful. Yeah, and, and you know, um, Jim, from your writing, from listening to your, your uh, podcast, and from our conversations, there is no doubt that you're at the core of your heart and your life and your calling is a message because you hit that theme. No matter what direction we're coming from, you hit the theme as you just described. It is very message-based for you. I, I believe. Well, I uh, uh, um, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and I'll use myself as an example. Um, we have um, actually we just got uh, about five minutes left, but 
sort of turning back to the idea of, well, what if you've attached your calling to a particular job or role in your life? Um, about 12, 13 years ago, um, I was a pastor for three years. I served um, solo churches, and I served as uh, associate pastors in larger churches. I never fit. I just never fit because they were looking for robots, they were lo- and they were handing me all kinds of scripts that weren't me. And so when I challenged the system, I was kicked out of it because the system didn't want people to challenge it, didn't want to say, well, wait a minute, is this really biblical? Is this, is this how God thinks of our calling? And, and you know, that we're just sort of to plug the holes in the, in the ministry machine. And um, if, if God hadn't been stirring in my life, and from, that, and from that point on, bringing me greater clarity to say, no, those, those people, they had no power over you. you. Don't give them the kind of power to define your calling in your life. If God hadn't been doing that and if I hadn't been open to God continually revealing, well, here's what I am about, it could have tanked my entire Christian faith, not just my sense of where am I going to go for a job, and I might not be talking to you today, bringing this message. Right. right. Well, yes. You know, that, that, that's just so profound. You know, when people do not understand this idea that their calling is the effect of their life, God has given them a very specific effect, glory, splendor, weightiness, brilliance, and so on. And, and it really has nothing to do with a job or title or job description. Um, they become very uh, vulnerable to the seduction of the scripts, uh, controlling of other people, the manipulation of other people, or the seduction of money and position, you know, the promise of a future, because they don't know who they are. And so all they know is that somebody thought I could do this and that must be true of me. And gosh, it's good money or you know, I know I don't like this, but they're telling me I'm a pastor, so I'm going to stay here and be a pastor. And, and you know, you and I have seen so many people have become so bitter, so taken out, because they've been somewhere where they should have left a long time ago. They're doing something that's not who they are. But because they don't know who they are, they don't know how to make another choice. Or they, they instead of saying, well, I'll stay and I'll do whatever you tell me, even though it'll, take their, it'll be the death of their heart, or they get fired. And, and then they completely tank, right? Where is God in this? How come, I, how come God let my calling be taken away when that's not what happened? And so, you know, look at what you're doing now. What you're doing now and what you have been doing uh, is so much more probably than what you would have been able to accomplish if you had stayed where you were, let alone probably the loss of your life that would have occurred, you know, at a heart level um, if you had stayed in a, in a job in a position that wasn't who you were. Yeah, I could have I could have stayed and done my religious duty, but it just wasn't in me. <laughs> it's not in me to do that. Um, so, and I'm just I'm grateful that God rescued me from that, um, and continues to to reveal. Now, this is what I have here, and it addresses the core wound as well for me. You know, God's calling is is not just to get us to do something. It's really not. He's not using us. <laughs> it's, it's, it's both for the gift of the world, but it's also a gift of our own heart because it ends up healing the wounds. 
Um, and there's so much more we could talk about, Gary. Unfortunately, we just have about a minute. But let me just quickly again tell people your website is thenobleheart.com, thenobleheart.com. And Gary's full teaching is on uh, uh, there, resources that he has. Um, next time we're going to be talking about the assault because we do not live in a safe story. It is not a nice, kinder, gentler world uh, spiritually, and there is an enemy. So we're going to talk about the assault and how the assault is affected and try to shut down this very glory. Gary, it's always a good um, conversation from my heart. Well, Jim, thank you. And, and what I want to say is thank you for walking with God um, going after the desires of your heart because what you are doing now um, brings joy to my heart. It brings clarity. I, I just enjoy you, our conversations, what you've written. And so thank you because you could have stayed where you were instead of moving to what you should have been in, and we wouldn't be having this, as you said. So thank you. All right. Thanks, Gary. I really appreciate that. Yep. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Talk to, talk to you too.